1: You want to see one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. His name is Rhino.
0: Wow.
1: Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. 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 This is uh, this is Paul Primorano. Hi there, hello sir. Hello sir. And that's Rhino. 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 Awesome! Awesome. He's about 144 pounds.
0: 144. 144.
1: And he's less than a year and a half old. Wow. What, is he, wow. what does he What he measure at his withers? Do you know? He's got a nice straight sit. Nice straight sit. You know, like... I've never measured him, but I'm guessing two and a half. His head comes from my waist. Okay. Very athletic uh, dog. Uh, yeah, yeah. A temperament. Paul takes him to Dog Beach on a pretty regular basis. Mm-hmm. He takes him to the dog parks and uh, and uh, yeah, he's a real well-rounded, good temperament.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: started yeah. his obedience training when he was a pup, you know, as a young pup, and I think that's really important with this breed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anytime you get a dog that's going to be as big as an ambonio mastiff, it's really important. In fact, I believe that it's probably the most important thing with any breed mm-hmm. to uh, start teaching obedience when they're buzzing. Just for the of bonding with your dog and the dog learning and the person learning to communicate with one another. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: The other thing is, is most of the time when you go to uh, rescue a dog at the dog pound, you're going to find that 95% of those dogs have no obedience on them. And the ones that people take the time to um, obedience train and learn to communicate with, um, they keep, they find a way to make the they find the dog a home instead of just taking him to the dog pound and dropping him off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Responsible dog owner I think it's part of the uh, excuse me it's part of the package yeah the uh, the breed originally my name is Mark Riesinger and the breed originally started in uh, in my mind in the 70s I was training dogs at 959 223rd. was 223rd canine uh, we had counts and with uh, uh, We trained attack dogs. We did a lot of obedience, search and find. Uh, we did all types of training there. And um, the Rottweiler just came on the set here in America. It was 1975. And uh, I like the Rottweiler. I like their size and I like the, their biting ability. But I, I like the temperament of the German Shepherd more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the J <laughs> Shepherd of Old. And um so to think outside of the box back then, um, was really unusual. People weren't breeding this to that, like today, you know, they people get creative and they breed a poodled uh, a schnauzer and call it a strudel and you know, back then that was called a mutt. Mm-hmm. And that was it. <clears throat> people didn't, you know, they They'd say, oh, that, that dog's worthless. So when I started thinking outside of the box, people would, would say to me, uh, well, aren't there enough good breeds that you could choose from, that you could, you know? And I said, no, there's really not. What I'm trying to achieve with a dog, I want a dog that doesn't have as high of a prey drive as a shepherd, but I want the defense drive, and I want more defense drive. Um, I want a dog that's going to be a personal companion to people first and foremost and a dog that's going to uh, be willing to put its very life on the line for its family. I want a dog that distrusts adult males that can, that can tell when there's a threat um, and I want this inherit in the breed. I don't want to have to train this into the dog and so uh, my whole life I had been uh, a lover of dogs. I mean that was my passion since I was a child. Most of my book reports were done on dogs and um, my mom wouldn't let me have a dog so that even made it more. I wanted it I, I wanted it that much more and uh, that being the case, I um, I uh, read everything I could on every breed and uh, any chance I got to go to a dog show I went. I worked for a kennel as a child I worked for a kennel cleaning up. Uh, a kennel owned by a, uh, a lady who had the top Kerry Blue Terriers. I also worked for Martin Busage, who was a um, breeder of American Pitbull Terriers, and his uh, dog, Caesar, figures into quite a few of the greats of today, if you look mm-hmm. back in, in the pedigrees. And so I had as much experience as I could get, and I worked for a veterinarian uh, for a couple of years, Dr. Jesse Allen-Jones prior to being at Shashi Kennel and Canine. And, um, so I started putting this together and I would talk to different people about it, different people that I worked with at different kennels that I'd worked with and different dog men and dog women that I knew. And, and I knew they loved the breeds. And, and so, uh, um, I put this breeding program together and Dr. Jones introduced me to a geneticist and, um, uh, we spoke, and uh, and she said she would be more than happy to help me, at uh, you know at whatever capacity she could help. And she was at uh, UC Davis, and um, that's where everything began. I started, uh, you know, uh, phenotyping the dogs, and I put the breeding program together on paper. And I started going out, talking to different people that owned uh, different breeds, like with the English Mastiff. I had to sign paperwork stating that I would not divulge the name of the person that owned the dog or the dog because it was a show dog and they didn't want really to have problems with American Kennel Club. And uh, like I said, this was, you know, it's over 30 years, 35 years ago. This was a absolute no, no. They were discouraging. Right. right. So um, um, I did that and uh, we brought over some dogs from uh, Europe some uh, Neapolitan Mastiffs. Um, I was fortunate in that I had uh, some family over there that were able to help me out uh, and uh, spent a great deal of money putting together the F1 breeding stock. And um, once I got that F1 breeding stock all together, then I made my moves. We stored uh, semen in the cryogenics bank and, um, we have, then I had to recreate the entire breeding program with different dogs, same breeds but different specimens because I wanted to widen the gene pool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we did it again. And, again, we used cryogenics bank and stored semen. And then we did it a third time. Now, By now, we had our F1s on the ground. And when I did it the third time, then I began to do what I call a weave. And it was a loose line breeding program where the sire of the sire is the same as the grandsire of the dam on the dam side. And uh, the dog breeders they'll understand that, and the rest mm-hmm. of the people can figure it out. Um, but basically, what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a dog that was a loving companion to its family, and. Uh, I wanted to know that I had a dog that was uh, never going to back up from trouble.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: <clears throat> what came at it, the dog was going to know what to do and it was going to spring into the action and, and do what it needed to do to protect its family. So uh, we used specimens. At 18 months, we had dogs x-rayed hips, elbows, had their eyes checked. Uh, when they were babies, Little eight, 10 week old pups were running them through mazes, opening umbrellas, doing what we could to see if they were skittish or what their temperaments were. And um, certain dogs were used and certain dogs weren't. And uh, so uh, it was really a selective breeding program where we used the best to the best. And we continued to do that generation after generation after generation after generation. So that what we have today um, is better than what we had in the beginning. Sometimes people get a hold of a breed and they they destroy it overnight. Um, I've kept a real close watch on this breed. And for the first six generations, people couldn't buy a dog without being involved in the breeding program on contract. And uh, because of that, we have dogs like Rhino. We have dogs that have the right temperament and uh you know they're they're beautiful dogs to look at, and they're also uh you know protective by nature, very loving with their family and the people that their family uh, accept, and all others beware
2: yeah are you, are you
1: absolutely. So I did some research on uh, the Bull Mastiff, which I liked a lot, but I didn't like the temperament that I saw in the dogs that um, were being shown in the AKC shows. They were really nothing like the dogs that, um, that were written about in these books. And when I looked at the dogs, they didn't even look the same. The dogs had a, more of a bully muzzle. They couldn't breathe as well. They didn't have the athletic build that uh, I saw in the pictures of the dogs at the turn of the century. And so I read everything I could and I found some paperwork on um, the bull mastiff by a man named Mosley who recreated who, who created that breed originally and his breeding program. So I structured mine very similar to that and um, I used... Uh, like I said, different dogs and different breeds, and basically what I did was I used an English Mastiff to a Neapolitan, and then uh, pups off that were bred to an American Pit Bull Terrier. Now, you have to understand something, Sean. When I say an American Pit Bull Terrier, I'm not talking about the blue dogs that we see today. That dog didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. 37 years ago, the blue dog was, it was non-existent. And so... Basically, what I used was the American Pit Bull Terrier, or what's referred to today as a game-bred American Pit Bull. And what you get from a dog like that is tenacity. Uh, they're very friendly with people. They love, they love people, and they had to. They were used uh, for bull baiting, and so people had to be able to pick them up and handle them and take them you know, to another place or whatever and um, not worry about being bit. Uh, the Neapolitan Mastiff back then was known to have a very sharp temperament. They were a, they were a real hard dog, and uh, they were great with their people. But that was it. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. English Mastiff was uh, it was a good dog. It was a very it was protective, but no prey drive really whatsoever. But a dog that was uh, real familiar with its borders. And I knew that with doing with breeding a close or loose uh, line breeding program, that the dogs were going to become smaller over a period of time, without an, a wider gene pool. So two reasons why I why I used the different breeds and why I recreated the breed three times. I wanted to keep size. I wanted to have a phenotype that I could continue with. And uh, and 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 so basically, what I did was. Um, I uh, I bred the English to the Neo, and that that to the uh, American Pit Bull Terrier, and on the other side I was using a Bull Mastiff to an American Bulldog, and the American Bulldog was a. The, they were specimens. I used some of the very best hog dogs that you could get. They weren't the showy type dogs. Again, they were more of the Scott type dogs. They were real showy dogs. The the they were real. uh real flashy when they were catching pigs, but other than that, just, just a bulldog. Right. And right. the bull mastiffs that I used, I used um, uh, some really nice dogs, just super good dogs. And basically what I was trying to do by doing the bulldog to the bull mastiff was I was trying to bring out more of the bulldog, the original bulldog used by Mosley in the bull mastiff program, and I felt like I did that. So the offspring from those two was bred to the offspring from the mastiff pitbull cross, mm-hmm. and that gave us our F1
2: breeding stock. Oh.
1: We we sell a lot of dogs to law enforcement for their private lives for their families. Okay. Uh, okay. We sell a lot of dogs to law enforcement. Uh, um, like I said, these are guardian companions. And um, so the people that want these dogs are people that understand what our society, where our society is heading. And, um, you know, they, you know, if a person's going to have a dog and they're going to have a pet and they're going to have a, uh, a dog, that they're going to put time and energy into a lot of people want something in return. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a nice nice deal to have you know it's kind of an extra uh to have a real loving dog that's real loving and companionable but will also get up and die for you at the moment's notice you know um, so right now i sell dogs my primary is law enforcement i sell a lot to uh, people that have a, a lot of deputy sheriffs buy dogs from me i've sold dogs at dea fbi and then i've sold quite a few dogs to celebrities So um, people that have a reason, you know, to want to have a nice big dog like this, um, they're the people. And so now what I'm finding is, you know, just John Q. Public. Uh, We go to a pet expo every year, and uh, we introduce the breed in many ways, but that's one of the ways we introduce the breed. And from that pet expo, I've had hundreds of people who are interested in the breed. And so I don't, it, probably hundreds or thousands, I don't sell dogs to just anybody with money. Um, I want to make sure that the person who's buying the dog for me understands what they're doing, what they're purchasing, and uh, I want them to be aware of uh, the possibility of this dog, um, of the capabilities of the dog. And, and, and uh, so when I talk to people... A lot of times in my interview with them, they don't realize they're being interviewed, Sean. They say, do you have pups available? And I say, yeah. And they say, uh, well, do you have any males? And I said, are you looking for a male or a female? And the interview begins.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's
1: when I begin to ask them why a female or why a male? And did did you do your research? Did you read everything you could read? And so on and so forth. And then I answer all their unanswered questions. And then I just tell him point blank, you know, this is this is a, a scenario that could possibly happen. And uh, I let them know, you know, uh, this is not like any other dog you've ever had. This is a dog that's comparable to a Secret Service agent. He is ready and he's ready to go at the at the drop of the hat. And as long as he's introduced properly and the person is responsible, no problem. Everything beautiful. But it, I, I'm, very com, I'm, very, I'm very confident that these dogs are going into the right hands at this point because, you know, I'm uh, still watching over this breed uh, myself like a guardian.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So is, where I see it going, I see it going into everybody's homes, um, whoever wants to have a nice dog that will take care of them and, and watch over them and their family. And, uh, and and then let me say this too, Sean. I, um, I um, normally breed dogs for a steady temperament. And I don't care about color. That to me doesn't mean a thing. I'm looking for a dog that can move good and a dog that has an excellent temperament and really wants to love that family and love that master. Um, so if a person that, you know, when a person gets this breed, if they step up and that's what they are, Mm-hmm. It's perfect. It's a great fit. Right. Right. No, there's uh, over in Europe. There's quite a few people breeding the dogs in Eastern Europe. They're breeding them uh, um, left and right. Uh, there's some breeders in Texas. There's a breeder in Florida. There's some breeders in New York. Um, there's quite a few people out here that are breeding. That I've sold breeding pairs to.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. That are doing it right. Um, there's also people who, uh, you know, they're, they're fraudulent and they're breeding this breed to other breeds and saying that they're purebred and so on. But if the dogs aren't registered and they don't come down from my lineage in, in four or five generations, then it's probably not a real amble on the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My, my, uh, my name on the paperwork is Bluesman. My kennel, it's Bluesman. Okay, and, uh, okay. So if it says Bluesman, Bluesman's, uh, you know, rocket ship or Bluesman's, uh, you know, Big, big uh, Raider or, or Beast or whatever, then you know it's, uh, it's one of my dogs or down from my lineage. And if it doesn't, then it's probably not one of my dogs. We're registered with the, uh, with the uh, National Kennel Club. Uh, they're the same okay. registry that first registered David Levette's dogs, the Old English Bulldog, and they also registered the American Bulldog uh, before anyone else. So I wanted to go with a registry that would, um, that were that was uh, more focused on working dogs and not so focused on show dogs, because I didn't want this breed. What happened to the Bull Mastiff to happen to this breed. I want these dogs to be guardian companions, and I'd like that to to continue to be the case, you know, for the next 100, 200 years. So whatever I can do to make that happen, I will. Great with kids. Dogs are great with kids, but it's really important to me that the people understand it's a big dog. And so because it's a big dog, it could step on a child and hurt it. It could step on a child's foot inadvertently and hurt the child. Uh, the other thing is when, the, when a dog, when a big dog is sleeping, leave it alone. People want to get right in their face and wake them up like, you know, there's, it, it's almost like uh, one, of the, uh, one of my friends uh, who's an actor, uh, you know, is famous. You know, he said it to me a hundred times. He said, you know, I said, common sense dictates. And he says, um, common sense ain't common no more, Mark. And, you know, it's really too bad because, uh, you know, if a person just used common sense, they wouldn't have half the problems, half the accidents that happen with other breeds, with other dogs, you know. Um, I've seen so many things happen with blue pit bulls. And it gave him such a bad name. And if you look at, you know, the situations and how they unfold, it's, it's the person's fault. Mm-hmm. It's, the, <laughs> it's the irresponsible person. You know, uh, there was a big dog was, I believe it was half Presa Canario and half uh, English Mastiff. And a lady up in Northern California on the dog and was constantly uh, sicking the dog on the neighbor because she didn't like the neighbor. And she would, you know, say, watch, watch, watch. And one day the dog got away from her. And I guess it killed the neighbor. And that made all the newspapers. And that lady went to jail for life. Yeah. And that was a real scar on big breeds. And it wasn't the dog's fault. It was the people's fault. You know, uh, that dog probably uh, was a good dog. And in the right hands could have been a great dog, a great family dog and protector. But in the wrong hands, you saw what happened. Yeah. You know, dogs uh, figure out the pecking order in their family, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a, a friend who bought a dog for me, and uh, he had a pit bull female, and his pit bull was in the front yard, his ambolia was in the front yard, and uh, I asked him after the dog was about a year, I said, you know, how's your, how's your dog doing? He, oh, she's good, she's good, and I said, she's quite a guardian, and he goes, no, no, not Really? I said, well, what, what do you mean not really? And he said, well, my, my pit bull does the guarding, and she just sits back on the porch and watches. And I said, well, that's the pecking order. She's she's allowing that to happen because she's, she's respecting the, the pit bull. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. I said, you have a fence around your yard? And he goes, yeah, we have a big five-foot fence. And I said, okay, well, put the pit bull in the backyard and see what happens. A week later, he called me and said, People are crossing the street to walk past my house. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I said, well, then your dog's doing what it was supposed to do. And you couldn't believe it. But that's a, that's a good example of how the dog respects mm-hmm. in the home the uh, pecking order that's already existent when it comes into that family. Right, right.
2: Most of my dogs,
1: you know, the, the standard for the breed was, uh, was written, like I said, 30 years ago, and, uh, and basically what we're looking for is uh, 1 to 3 from the octopole to the, uh, from the in the on the back of the head uh, up to the, uh, up to the uh, stop. I want a 1 to 3 as far as the muzzle is concerned and size. The ear is a very similar ear to a bull mastiff. They can, they can either be cropped or uncropped. Uh, if they're cropped, we prefer a, uh, medium lobe, medium length, medium bell. And, um, if a person wants the dog's ears cropped, I charge them what the vet charges me. And the vet gives me a pretty good price because I bring the vet quite a few dogs. So, um, they can be either way. Um, the body is supposed to be a very strong, uh, straight, good angulation, straight top line, and uh, a strong, powerful neck, strong, powerful jaws. The feet are almost cat like for a big dog. They're not, you know, they're not, the toes are not supposed to be splayed. The dog is either. I want the dog's feet to be out just a little bit to the right and to the left. And like I said, good angulation is real important to me. Uh, as far as the line is concerned. I don't think it's a good thing to have a dog's uh, back end uh, higher than the front end. And um, it doesn't seem to be able to – my dogs seem to be able to move a lot better than bigger dogs. We had a situation once where a guy had an ambonio, and another guy had brought his Jack Russell, and they were throwing the ball, and they were on a, uh, a, a handball court. Mm -hmm. and that ambonio was getting the ball every time that jack russell was going for it but that ambonio was getting the ball and uh that speaks volumes because jack russell's a good little dog and they're a good little you know they'll they're they're, most of the time the uh the uh um the jack russell's going to get the ball because it's you know just a faster dog but in that particular case my friend roy was amazed he said my god maximus is phenomenal man and and he is He's a great dog. He's a well-bred dog. And I had a litter of pups off him. They, everybody that got a pup off that dog, they're all impressed. They all love their dog. One of them is actually going to, uh, on a regular basis, uh, a veteran that had uh, PTSD, mm-hmm. is taking him on a regular basis um, to, the, uh, to the VA, in on the meeting. All the guys are petting him. The dog is just loving it, and it's been doing this since it was nine months old, and, and it looks like that dog is probably going to be, turn out to be a great service dog. Oh, oh. oh absolutely,
2: yeah, yeah. The yeah.
1: Is, it, it Sean, the Ambonio is as far as intellect it is like the German Shepherd of the sixties. Mm-hmm. You can teach them anything in five minutes. They are so smart. And and again, they they don't have that high prey drive that will take them off their course. On a one to ten, it's about a five. Mm-hmm. So it exists. <clears throat> it's just not through the roof like a Malinois or a Shepherd. You know, a DDR dog. You know, those type of dogs are better for attack work. Mm-hmm.
0: These dogs are <clears throat>
1: driven dogs, and so they're much better for a family companion because that's their home. The other good thing about an Ambonio Mastiff. Because of the way it's bred, if they get out, you'll find them on your porch. They don't want to go anywhere. That's their home, and they know it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can. uh, From time to time, I'll help uh, people that, you know, say, hey, I would really like my dog to learn to do this or that. And I said, sure, no problem. Um, I can help them do that. But like I said, you can teach an ambonio to do anything in five minutes. Uh, if, if a person, the biggest challenge that I think most dog breeders run into is getting people that want to spend the time to learn how to obedience train. That's seven small commands. And if a person takes the time to learn how to obedience train their dog, then they've opened up a... Uh, uh, they've opened up, a, a, you know, the ability to communicate with their dog on another level. And, and once you're once you able to do that with your dog, everything else is cake. You know, a person thinks, well, I don't need to teach my dog to heal and to sit and to sit, stay and down, stay and to lay down and come to me. and so Those are things that I probably won't use. But it's not for that purpose. It's for the purpose of opening up the dog's mind and opening up the person's mind to see how the dog and the person relate to one another. And once that happens, the magic happens.
0: Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that dog
1: starts realizing in a, in an Ambulmio is a very intelligent dog. So they realize real quick, man, this guy's communicating with me. And I want to do, I want to be with him wherever he is. I want to do whatever it takes. I want whatever makes him happy. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how these dogs are. You know, that's, basically what an ambonio does. In fact my friend Paul and his and his and his dog, he told me that his uh he told me today that his wife Kelly had said that dog what did he say, Paul? It's uh, unnatural love. <laughs> she said it was an unnatural love the dog had for Paul. <laughs> 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 and basically you know he paul might take off for a for a minute and uh when he does uh you know rhino's uh misses him and when he comes back he's there to he's there to be with him everywhere he goes you know so if, if paul's doing whatever type of work paul's doing if he's doing any kind of uh any kind of paperwork or whatever then rhino's right there at his feet and uh you know, he gets up to go to the restroom, and <laughs> walks in there with him. You know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, great. But that's, that's great. Yeah, that's pretty typical of the breed. Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't, I don't breed a lot of litters. I what I do is this: I only do a breeding when my breed my my litters are usually four to ten pups. And so what I try to do is I try to uh, to ensure that I have um, four deposits before I do a breeding. So uh, we're online, you know, social media and so on, and people are constantly saying, hey, I want a pup, I want a pup, I want a pup. And uh, once I've talked to them and I know that, you know, this might be a good person to own a dog, then uh, own an ambonial, then I say, okay, well, you know, I need a deposit to know you're, you're, you're real. And um, most people say no problem. And I get a deposit. I make a hard file on them. And then uh, once I've done that uh, four times and I have four, four uh, deposits, then I'll do a breeding. Uh, the breedings that I do, I'm always breeding to make better dogs. So I only breed the best to the best. And um, I make sure that I'm outcrossed uh, four generations whenever possible so that it's a complete outcross. Uh, sometimes I'll breed a depending on, you know, where we're at and, uh, and, and I'll go from there. But uh, for the most part, that's what I try to do. And uh, in doing so, um, I've produced some really good dogs over the years. So that's how I do it. And then when the litter is born, um, like I said, it's usually four to four to ten pups. Then other people that are waiting in line, at that point I let them know that I'll take their deposit at that point. And I take their deposits and we go from there. I hold on to puppies um, no matter how old they are. I begin their training so that when a person buys a pup from me, if they buy it at, at uh, uh, eight weeks, then – it's one price, and, of course, the price becomes more as the dog gets older, where in most cases, people are just trying to, a lot of lot of uh, backyard breeders are just trying to dump the dog for whatever price they can get as it gets older. But what I do is I begin putting uh, obedience training on the dog so that when a person gets a dog, the dog's already a turnkey obedience-trained dog, and so I uh, charge accordingly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Well, I have a kennel, so my daily routine is to uh, get up in the morning, and uh, I don't want to wake the neighborhood, so I don't start cleaning until 7. We live out in, I guess you can tell by the the background, we're out in the country, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I still have neighbors, you know, these are mostly 10-acre ranches, 5, 10 acres, and 20 and, and larger Uh, basically what we, what I do is I start off by cleaning and feeding. Uh, I have helper, but, um, but I'm out there and I'm cleaning and feeding. And, uh, I call that my get humble time. And, uh, and so I'm picking up dog crap and, um, you know, I'm doing what I do. And there's a lot you can learn from that about the dog. You know, you can tell whether your dog is how he's feeling or how she's feeling depending on, you know, what the defecation looks like, I know what I feed, so, um, you know, I know what it's supposed to look like, and then uh, all my kennels get hosed down daily, Uh, waters get refilled, and, um, you know, each one of my dogs, uh, actually two by two, males and females, unless the bitch is in heat, get put in an exercise yard, exercise yard, uh, uh, it's a It's a great big yard, uh, 80 by 80. And the dogs can run and jump and play, whatever. And so everybody gets time in the exercise yard uh, daily. And that's when we start doing it. And that's why I say my helper's able to do that. By 9 o'clock, I'm um, off and doing my other business. And uh, then I come back. Uh, Later that day, my helper's been releasing dogs throughout the day and walking dogs. And behind my property... I can show you this. Uh, it, my property is 25,000 acres of uh, wilderness. So we bought this place, especially for the kennel and for the ability to breed Ambonio Um So we take the dogs back there and we let them run. And um, we have a quad, dogs run behind the quad. Some dogs run in front of it, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, they, they go back there and they have a good time. And uh, then when I come home at night, check everybody again, clean everybody again. And some dogs get fed twice a day. Some dogs don't. Um, And then uh, if I'm going to do a breeding, if I'm doing a breeding, then um, if it's going to be an artificial insemination, then I will do the AI. I'll collect the mail. And then I'll uh, inseminate the bitch. And then we have an area here at our kennel that's uh, designated for whelping. And um, so once a bitch has been bred, uh, obviously the date's written down, and and how many, how much see how much semen, how many ccs, and so on. And then um, we start watching. And at four to five weeks, I can usually tell that the bitch is you know, that she's due to have pups because uh, her nipples, the hair in the nipples begins to move away and the nipples begin to drop. And so there's a pretty good indication. If I want to um, really know, then I can take them down to the vet and uh, Dr. Butchko will, uh, he'll do a a, uh, sonogram and let me know. Sorry. I said most of the time I can tell I've been breeding dogs for quite some time, and, you know, I can look at a, at a female and tell most of the time she's pregnant. Right. Right. Um, actually, the special diet my dogs are on right now comes from Costco. Okay. And, uh, okay. and basically, uh, what I do is um, all my dogs are on Costco. It's that purple bag. Uh And then, you know, there's, uh, I also use um, uh, chicken, frozen chicken, and I throw frozen chicken in there. Sometimes I use canned food on top of it, and sometimes it's straight Costco food. Uh During the winter months, I feed a little different than I do during the summer months. I feed a little heavier, and uh, I always want my dogs to look good. I check my dogs for their fat. I was taught by a Old pit bull breeder years ago, um, he told me if you put your finger next to the uh, breastbone and you push it in, you can feel how far it goes in. That'll give you a good indication of how much fat the dog has on it.
2: Mm-hmm. You can also look
1: to see if there's any bones showing on the on the spine or on the ribs. And you don't want any spine showing, and you want maybe one rib uh, during the summer months. And during the winter, nothing. You want everything to look heavy and fat and chunky and so on and of course that's different with puppies with puppies i want them always to look good i always want them to have milk fat on them i feed my puppies um w- with their gruel i feed them a uh, goat milk powdered goat milk and powdered colostrum and then i mix that with uh with meat mm-hmm. um you know, and i make that gruel and then the pups start getting bigger and bigger and I like that milk fat that gets that's on the puppies and um, if a pup has a problem with a stomach or something to that effect you know you don't have to worry about the puppy um, getting too sick because they've got you know three days worth of fat on them while you make adjustments and, and, uh, and reworm and you know look for coccidia, giardia you know and so on And um, so, you know, to a person who takes a puppy home, you know, those are things that, you know, you run to the vet with. Me, I take a fecal sample and put it on a slide and get it under the microscope and I figure out what's going on and then I treat them. And uh, very rarely do I have to go to the vet anymore, but when I do, I go to Dr. Putschko. Okay. Okay. And if you're in Southern California and you have a, a bulldog or a bull breed, you know who Dr. Butchko is. (coughs) Well, the reason that I feed, uh, sometimes I feed twice a day, sometimes once a day, and it depends on the dog. If it's a big dog, it's twice a day. And the reason for that is because if you feed a big dog too much at once, it can get bloat or stomach torsion and, and die. If you feed the dog twice a day, it's not so heavy on the stomach. And the chances of that happening are are, are lessened also, also if you pull the food that you know uh, when a pup when it when a dog's a puppy I, I put it out there and as long as there's more than one puppy there they're gonna keep eating until it's gone um, when a dog starts getting finicky and they leave their food in their bowl all day and you just free just pile it in there and you know you're 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 really um, you're you're opening your dog up to getting all kinds of diseases because flies can land on the food and all kinds of things can happen. So I like to feed my dogs on a schedule. I don't like to free feed. And um, I know a fellow that feeds a ton of food every three days and he swears by it. He says that's the best thing and that that's how the wolf eats and so on. And, you know, I know with wild animals, that is true, but I think with a domesticated dog, it's better to feed smaller meals and and do it more, you know, twice a day, um, and that should be good. I know yeah. for myself, I haven't had any real problem with bloat, and I know a lot of people with large breeds, they lose a lot of good dogs to bloat.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, um,
1: I want to shout out to—I'm just kidding. <laughs> Right. No, uh, right. I I, uh, I appreciate you, uh, your show, and, and you know what you're doing, Sean, I think that's wonderful that you're educating people, you're getting people out there, you're getting the word out there, and you're educating people to these other breeds, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'd like to, I'm going to take you into my kennel for a minute before yeah. I let, before yeah. I go, if that's okay with you. Oh, go absolutely. Okay, I hope I don't lose connection, because. Like I said before, where we're at, boy, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's kind of hard to stay connected at times. We're in Riverside County. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is the female. That's Whitey. One of my. This is one of my older dogs. That's one of my older dogs. This dog is 12 years old, and he's still breeding. So that's uh, one of my one of my uh, rows of kennels, right? right? And then I have another row right here. that big boy is the sire of the dog that's out there right now. Rhino? Yeah, that's uh, Rhino's sire. Wow, wow. And as you can see, his ears were left uh, intact. Did you like to to do that? Again, it's totally optional. It's 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 your choice. Uh, This is a breeding kennel that I have these two in. And um, I'm breeding these two together. And as you can see, she's not ready. Okay. Okay. So when a female, when a female snaps at you like that, that means she's not ready. She's not
0: ready. She's not ready. She's
1: not ready. She's not... So Sean, I want to thank you again for having me on your show. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, if there's anything I can ever do for you, you let me know, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll put it on my Facebook and my webpage.
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate it.
1: it. Thanks, thanks, thanks you. Sean. Take care.
2: Bye-bye.